From the control room of the TARDIS, it's the IGN DigiGuys. Now, here are two men who've never been to Metabellus 3, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. I'm not even sure I know what uh, Metabellus 3 is. Corey, who contributed that intro? That was brought to you by Lenny Timmons, who ran out of movie references. Apparently. Dr. What? Uh-huh. You, you know what? The, the problem with Doctor Who, yeah. just, from a, just from a foundational ground level, yes. I cannot get by, I cannot get behind any mm-hmm. show yes. where one of the major, let's say characters. Is a phone booth? That that sounds like retard. <laughs> I mean, come on, the TARDIS. It just sounds like retard. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they, they could not think of anything else in the entire English language. the The country that brought us Shakespeare can do no better than <laughs> a phone booth called the Retardist. <laughs> That's the best they could do, honestly. Uh, Jesus well. Christ! Yeah, okay, it's unbelievable. Anyway, uh, we got uh, we got a listener mail. We got we got an audio listener mail this week. I know, isn't that great? Right, so we should be getting more of those. And we got some great new movie uh, titles this week. We got uh, foreign stuff. We got a lot of stuff. All right, Wade. Uh, before we start, yes, your number one Bingham Ray heart att- uh, stroke, stroke, two strokes dead. Sundance Film Festival. What the hell? You know, Wade. Wade and I talk a lot about uh, independent oh, film and how great gosh. independent film is, and how the studio makes crap films now. And when you talk about independent film and the culture of Sundance and the culture yeah. of independent filmmaking, really, you are talking about Bingham Ray. Yeah, it's true. No, Bingham Ray, one of the founders of uh, October uh, Films. October Films. Which, of course, eventually, you know, there's a whole sequence of mergers. October Films, you know, merged with, what was it, Artisan? Artisan. And then Artisan became part of Lionsgate. And I think there's USA is stuck in there somewhere. I forget the whole sequence. But there there wound up being a sequence of like five or six independent companies that all sort of merged together. And uh, Or did October, is it Focus that October got folded into? See, yeah, I've they uh, they changed them to uh, uh, Foctober. Yeah, that's it. Anyway, all of those mergers, I lost track of them ages ago. But it, uh, you know, October was a big deal at the time. It really was. It, it was. was. It was one of the real rivals to to Miramax, and they they made some great acquisitions and were some really smart marketing. And he was one of the kind of the independent pioneers, one of the foils to Harvey Weinstein at the time. Which you know, Harvey needed a foil. He needed somebody else in the room at the film markets. You know, out trying to outbid him. Well, he he has done now, except maybe Sony Pictures Classics, uh, yeah, maybe Fox it's, Searchlight. It's really that's it. CBS Films is like throwing money around like there's no tomorrow. I, you know what? I'm I'm surprised CBS Films has lasted this long. I I I, I had uh, I had predicted yeah. that they would release two films and fold. Well, you know, they were pretty close, and I think some didn't uh, one of their heads step aside recently. And anyway, they they just made you know one of these big acquisitions at Sundance. They did. So, they yeah. did. Well, but anyway, anyway. so Bingham Ray will be uh, definitely missed. <sighs> Such a such a sad thing. But. Such a sad thing, totally. And yeah. uh, I have to say, though, uh, 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 Sundance, yeah, as a film festival, yeah, just seems like a cluster F. Yeah, it does. 
and, and I just don't. I just, I've been read. I, I mean, read, can I love can? I've been I can too. a couple times. I love it. I read Sundance. I, I don't, don't like it. I agree. I have no interest in going there because can I know the drill? You know, I know that there are films in this section and that section. It's twelve days. You know, there are the parties and there's the thing. La it's pizza. like it's la pizza. It's manageable. <laughs> in Sundance, I've just I you know I I read Ray stuff. Like I get emails from Ray and I read uh, you know Peter stuff and Tim's stuff from up there. You know all the junk that they're publishing on Variety and elsewhere and Screen. And it just sounds like go up, bundle up, go out in the snow in this little tiny town with just one main drag and d- desperately hope that you can get a seat into whatever screening everyone is piling into tonight. Uh, and there aren't of, enough screens and there's too many movies. It does sound like can, though. It's a small town, one main drag. It does <laughs> sound like can. Yeah, but, it, but you know. But still can. Can is, is a tourist spot that is, that is no, always Kansas hosting people. You know, it's a giant palais. And it, it sounds like there's just not enough screens in Sundance. No, there's not. There just aren't. It's like too many movies, not cold. enough screens. And it's cold. And there's no, there's no aubergine pizza. No. The best. Fooey. Anyway, um, well, let's, uh, let's, let's dive into it here. Let's, um, uh, let's do, well, now, wait, there's a couple decent uh, Blu-rays and a couple decent... Uh, well, well there's, th- there's some interesting stuff. I just want to make mention of this. Too bad this isn't a TV show because, Mark, these it three Blu-rays... It's called Stupid for Movies. <laughs> these three Blu-rays. Uh, read the titles and tell me why, why I pulled those three. I always, I'm, marketing and artwork always fascinate me. Wait, hang on, wait. I, I have to put on my reading glasses oh, there that you I wear go. now because... Um, because I do. I know. I know, it's so sad. <laughs> Read these times. Uh, Bride Flight. Yes. With... Um, it's a period film. Period film Foreign starring film. Uh, somebody I don't know about. Yeah. Uh, the River Y. Yeah. With That's Zach it. Guilford and uh, William Devane. Takes place in Oregon. William Hurt. Yes. And uh, Becoming Jane, the biggest of the three titles I'm mentioning, with mm-hmm. Anne Hathaway and James McAvoy. Exactly. And uh, the reason why Wade loves all these, which would be a lot more if this was uh, stupid for <laughs> movies... Is because why, Wade? You tell us why. You were the one because, who had the idea to pull these out together. Well, you know, things just jump out at you, and I just thought, this is so bizarre. They all have exactly the same artwork on the cover, which is a gigantic picture of the central lovers, their heads, their giant heads swooning above some smaller landscape shot below. I mean, clearly marketing people realize that this sells in some way. But all three of these, Bride Flight, The River Y, and Becoming Jane, they, they're marketed exactly the same way. The covers are almost identical. It's absolutely hysterical. Well, you, well, his, well the reason that is is because uh, they want women yes. to see the... Uh, the it's a the, sweeping romance thing. Yes, they want the women to see the, uh, the pre-orgasmic woman yeah. with her... Hand, with her uh, Which, you know, by the way, this is exactly the artwork of Dr. Zhivago on Blu-ray as well. But Dr. Zhivago, I cut some slack because it's friggin' Dr. Zhivago. Uh, no, Becoming Jane, of course, is the one that probably most everybody knows with uh, the, the future Catwoman um, cast as Jane Austen. Uh, Anne Hathaway doesn't really do a great Jane Austen. She kind of does that same uh, accent that she did in One Day, which, by the way, I watched on the plane. I was recently in Paris, by the way. Did I mention that? I yes, I asked you days. for your best, uh, uh, yeah. re- your best memory of Paris last week. You didn't answer me. Oh, really? I don't think I got that email. I uh, just said it right now. Oh, oh, you did. Because you never pay attention to me. I never pay attention. I was doing something else. I was, you know, playing with mice. Uh, the No, my best memory of Paris. What was my best memory of Paris? Um, you know, it was just going through all the Blu-rays at uh, the Virgin Megastore on the show. No, not at FNAC. FNAC didn't have any good sales. Well, Virgin, you, Virgin Megastore had all the great sales, all the great prices. You emailed me and said there was an amazing Charlie Chaplin Blu-ray box set. Yes. What is that about? Uh, I haven't been able to get it to play. 
<laughs> oh, really? <laughs> it dovetails with an email that we have as well. So I'll read the. I'll talk more about it at the time. But it's uh, it's it's a it's half of the the Chaplin titles that you know MK two, which is Marin Karmitz's uh, French uh, sales company and production company. They own the, the rights to all those Chaplin films, and they license. In- France. Everywhere. 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 And they licensed it all to Warner Brothers years ago when Warner Brothers came out with the, the complete Chaplin uh, box set. Uh, it was two box sets. And half of those films are now out as a Blu-ray box set in France. Only half. And, uh, but it's region B, and I haven't been able to get it to play on my player yet. But I, I, also, I also picked up, you know, uh, Welcome to the Shti, Bienvenue chez les the Danny Boone film, his new one, uh, uh, Nothing to Declare, which is outrageously hilarious. I got both OSS 117 films on Blu-ray. Fantastic! They all play all non-region, really? wide open. Yeah, Impressive. and the o- and the OSS. Forget, you know, so just unbelievably damn funny that movie. Is. I love those films. Those films but are hilarious. It's just I, I'm so rooting for Michelle Hasnavishis to win Best Director and Best Picture with the artist. It's just so overdue. You know what? It'll do I'm, wonders for the OSS 117 films. I'm I'm really thinking that the artist is going to win. Of course it is. And take everything. Of course it is. It speaks to everyone's frustration right now in Hollywood. It's the movie that like speaks to the artistic soul. Anyway, uh, Anne Hathaway is Jane Austen in this kind of fictitious romance that never really happened. It's okay. It's fine. It's cute. Uh, not really worthy of a Blu-ray. Uh, Bride Flight is one of those World War II romances that just uh, you know showers you with melodrama and saccharine goop and it's uh, you know it, it it is what it is it's you know flyboys and whatnot fine it's gonna that's a little bit like a, another version of wings which we will talk about later yes we will yes we will i talk saw about something rings. cool while you were in france oh i know and then uh, the river y which is you know set in oregon and it's you know just it's it's nice and pastoral and whatever. Zach Guilford's cute. He's he's a nice guy. All right, wait, shut up. Who cares? Whatever. Friday Night Lights. You know, he, that's I, no, I never whatever. watched it, but uh, no one cares. Okay, no one fine. cares. No one's gonna right, re- no one's gonna rent that. Okay. No one's gonna buy that. No one cares. And by the way, later on, or I can do this now. I have a book yes. recommend. I have a book recommendation. Oh, sweet. Very nice. Don't and remind me to do the book recommendation. And real quickly, also because you we have, have no a, idea what I said, do you? Yeah, the book recommendation. <laughs> By the way, also because uh, Black History Month is coming up in just a matter of days, that would be February. Uh, everybody's throwing out their uh, their Black History Month titles, and we got some good ones here. Getting things rolling, uh, Thurgood with Lawrence Fishburne. This is from HBO Films. Uh, not exactly the best casting in the world. I got to say, Lawrence Fishburne is sort of in no way even remotely reminiscent of uh, Thurgood Marshall, but it's uh, it's it's well written and uh, generally well put together, and you know uh, it's it's a it's a decent thing. I don't know that it's really worthy of Blu-ray. Uh, much better is the Tuskegee Airmen, also starring Lawrence Fishburne, which was a terrific television production by HBO Films. Uh, so terrific that George Lucas said, uh, you know, and I think I could do a better job of that. I think I'll just dumb it down, call it Red Tails, take another bunch of years, and I'll finance it myself. It's flopping, Red Tails. Not, what? It opened up at $19 million. That's a, That's more than they thought. You think? Oh, yeah. You think? That thing had bomb written all over it. Oh, it had, yeah, I'll say. But why, why do that when the Tuskegee Airmen is so much better? And so much better on Blu-ray, in a nice Blu-ray because book. George Lucas has, a, has an African-American girlfriend. Oh, does he? Yes, he does. I did not know that. He does. Really? Yes, he does. By the way, you know, if you, uh, actually, the real Afri- the real, uh, 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 the real Black History Month thing you yeah. should see if you live in the East Coast, you yeah. should see Sam Jackson and Angela Bassett 
in um, on the mountaintop where yeah. Sam Jackson plays Martin Luther King. Oh, wow. On Broadway. Oh, nice. Live. Oh, that's Sam great. Sam Jackson, Angela Bassett. Oh, that's great. Sam Jackson playing Martin Luther King. Oh, that's great. I'm telling you. that's the, Now, it's limited engagement, so you, actually, you, actually by, it ends in a couple of days. By the way, you heard about uh, Spike Lee's uh, thing, his song and dance at Sunday. I did hear oh, about it's that. It's great. Oh, my gosh. It's great. Don't tell people. Don't tell people that Red Hook Summer or Red Hook whatever Summer is a, is a sequel. Do the right thing. Oh, that's great. Oh my gosh, he was just ripping into the studio. It was brilliant. I don't. I don't care if the movie's any good. That just reading all of his comments, I was laughing. I just I'm, thought it was brilliant. I'm actually afraid Spike Lee's. Uh Better days are behind him. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, but you know what? Look, I mean, I, I one thing I, I agree with was he was really mad that was it Universal that refused to do a, a sequel to uh, the Inside Man. What the hell? It was a good movie. It made money. Make terrific a sequel. Movie. It was a terrific movie. I mean, really good chemistry there. Jeez, what are you kidding me? You get Spike Lee back. You get uh, Denzel back. What? It's a no-brainer. What they were? What were they thinking? The problem is here's the problem from a Spike Lee standpoint. <sighs> Spike Lee does Inside uh, Job, Inside yeah. Man, right? Yeah. It reinvigorates his career. Terrific yeah. movie. Yeah. Right? Follows that up with Miracle at St. Anna. I know, which was dud, horrible. Which was awful. Which, so he ruins all the, all the momentum all the he had will. gained, all the goodwill, all the career resurgence goodwill he had gotten from Inside, uh, inside Man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, another one from HBO, Blu-ray of uh, Josephine Baker's story, which, of course, won an Emmy for Lynn Whitfield, who at the time was, uh, was she married to Brian Gibson? Who directed it? I can't remember. They got married, I think. Anyway, uh, Josephine Baker, tremendous, uh, real pioneering figure in the silent film era. And this was a, this was a really, really good HBO. This is one of those original HBO um, productions that kind of put them on the map for making movies for HBO that had a cinematic quality to them. And uh, it's really good. I think it's gotten even better with time. I really do. And I don't know why Lynn Whitfield hasn't... Uh, been able to maintain some level of stardom, but she is terrific in this. So, and also a really good Blu-ray. I'd forgotten how well shot this film was. Really nice. All right. So, um, with that, Mark, let's uh, let's let's blow through some of the new titles and then get into some listener mail and then uh, you know get into some kid stuff and all the rest. Oh, Taylor Lautner stars in Abduction, a truly horrible movie. And uh, you know this kid, Taylor Lautner kid, he's not going to make it. He's just not going to make it. You know, here's the thing with, with all these. Uh, the reason why Kristen Stewart has a chance is because she does smaller films yep. with good directors. She's she's kind of she's building up her acting chops. She's exactly. learning from good directors. Precisely. So she's to her, it's a it's a uh, it's a marathon. It's yes. not a sprint. I agree. When you're Tara Lautner, to you it's a marathon. He's just abs. right now. He's not even abs. Let's He's be just famous pecs. now, right now. Make me make me top dog on a piece of crap like this, <laughs> as opposed to third banana like Kristen yeah. Stewart on like you know Adventureland or some of these other films right. she does. Um, so I think Tara Lautner is getting some bad advice, I and agree. Uh, I think he just wants to uh, be however old he is, sixteen years old, and make all his money and walk the red carpet. Yeah. He's, he's in it for the wrong reasons. He's got to throttle back. But no one, no one will give him that advice. He will no. never get that advice. Never, ever. No. The, the the agent will be like, take take this piece of crap because you'll get uh, three million bucks for it, and we'll you know the agency gets a, a packaging fee, and everybody oh, gets rich. It's but, evil packaging fees. But you know what, Lautner will burn out. Mm-hmm. And he'll be replaced with the next kid. Yep. Whereas Kristen Stewart and even Daniel Radcliffe, who I think is a legitimately good actor, he is, and he does good films too. Yeah. He'll. These guys are in it for the long haul. I agree. Taylor Lautner, not anyway. Abduction. Uh, John Singleton, who has seen Better Days, um, he directed this thing, and uh, you know, look, it's pretty stylish. It's uh, decently well shot. Looks good on Blu-ray, but it's pointless. Uh, you know, there's a really interesting thing happening with. Um, 
it, it's very easy to to be critical of uh, movies that are made by uh, religious groups and faith based groups, but there's a really interesting thing going on that I think identifies uh, this whole underserved audience argument that we often keep making. And uh, the movie Courageous, which is the follow up film from the people who made Fireproof. Um, this is a really interesting thing because nobody's really paying attention to this. This is from Provident Films. And what Provident Films did with Fireproof, you know, they made a movie basically about firemen that was, it was sort of religiously themed, faith in God, and uh, how, you know, these firemen are sustained by all that. And it was this crazy, out-of-the-blue independent hit with almost no marketing. They marketed it strictly through churches and faith-based organizations and really kind of proved that you could do that. And Courageous did extremely well as well. And, uh, you know, there's no telling whether or not this well has a bottom to it. But I think it shows that not just that audience, but there are other audiences out there that are just not getting their movies. No, the, and the, the, by the way, there, the, there is a bottom to the well. The bottom to the well is when the major studios yeah. start throwing $120 million at a faith-based movie. True. And those audiences will feel pandered to. They will. Well, they, they tried it a little bit. Remember Fox Faith? That didn't last very no. long. The only one who's been able to do that, well, it's not re- religious-based, but Tyler Perry, yeah. although not strictly exactly. religious-based, he's but the guy. He built it up. Yes. From the, he, the, he, wrote, he worked that audience. He did. Absolutely, he did. Well, uh, Courageous, you know, doesn't focus on firemen. It focuses on cops, and it's a little bit of the same kind of a thing. You know, it's, uh, it's about fatherhood and balancing the, 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 the rigors of being a cop with uh, the rigors of trying to raise a family and how faith fits into all of that. And the um, the uh, Kendrick brothers who uh, wrote it and then, you know, one of them produced it, one of them directed it, they uh, do a very interesting commentary. It's really worth listening to. It's, it's completely different from what you might expect. Um, also some deleted scenes, background stuff, uh, behind the scenes, bloopers, which aren't really very funny. Uh, not in the least, but um, you know, there's there's stuff on here, and there's also ultraviolet. So I think that's interesting to me. That um, you know, it's it's obviously because they're going with Sony, but I think it's interesting that a, a little film like this, they're thinking maybe there's uh, some ultraviolet juice to it. I don't know, but we'll see. I think ultraviolet is not going to catch on immediately. I think it may catch on somewhat eventually. I just wonder if they're really going to stick with it. Wait for it to catch on. Wait for it to catch on. Studios have no. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, studios have no uh, patience for things, waiting for things to catch on. No, it's true. They I just agree. Yeah. Uh, the Scorpion King three. This is the uh, second sequel to uh, Scorpion King. This is with Billy Zane, Ron Perlman, and uh, Victor Webster. Oh my gosh, Why, Ron Perlman, just stop, dude. Really, honestly, just stop. Every time they need a guy with a with a with a freaky gargantuan r- Robert Zadar face, yeah, they <laughs> they, they got to get uh, just, uh, they got to uh, get uh, Perlman. Uh, you know, these movies are, um, you know, look, they're... Uh, Did I mention I watched Drive three times on the plane? It's awesome. That's the only thing that was any good that was playing. Did you watch it on, oh, so you, did you watch it on like an iPad or something or on the... No, it was like the, the plane plane. Oh. Yeah. Was it in French? No, no. You could have watched it in French or Italian or German, depending on what channel you turned to. I watched it three times. All right. Um, though this is straight to DVD crap, Scorpion King 3. This is, uh, I, I was not, not a fan of the original and I never saw the second one. It's horrible. This one has uh, Billy Zane, who, you know what? Ever since Titanic stars in the biggest film ever made and then like, kind of does a lot of straight to DVD crap, including this. He starred in The Phantom, Slam Evil. That was awesome. You remember that? Slam Evil. Best tagline ever. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> Slam Evil. That's awesome. But you know what? Um, uh, UFC people might like this because it, uh, it co stars Kimbo Slice. And it's funny, you know, these guys, 
you know, these guys aren't stupid who make these movies. No. They realize that if you if you cast a WWE champion, sure. Dave Bautista, and a UFC guy, Kimbo Slice, you will get, and put it on a sticker on the front of the box, mm-hmm. you will get X number of flyover people <laughs> to rent this thing. Because it has two of their favorite wrestling stars. Absolutely. Is the movie good? Uh, no, it's loud, and there's a lot of extras, and a lot of sword fighting, and it's fairly well shot, but it's straight to DVD crap. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Scorpion King 3, The Battle for Redemption. Go check out your favorite wrestlers in in wearing togas and, uh, uh, and have long hair. Okay, I got a question for you. Exactly. What do Christina Ricci and Don Johnson and uh, Stephen Dorff uh, all have in common? They both appeared, they all appeared in the worst film of the year. Unbelievable how horrible this movie is. I didn't see it in theaters, thank goodness. I think it might have, it might have made my five, been among my, the five worst of the, of the year. What were they thinking? Uh, Bucky Larson, Born to be a Star. We've got it here on Blu-ray and on DVD. It's not worthy of either format. Uh, it's not even worthy of audio. It's really not even worthy of shadow puppetry. Uh, this is, here's what happened with this. This is uh, Adam Sandler throwing his buddy a bone. Uh, Nick Swardson is one of the most unbelievably unfunny stand-up comics currently working. Would you agree with that? I would. I really he's, would. He's, this, this is like Nick Swardson stand-up comic. Uh, dude, that's like, you know, it's like walking down the street and it's like, whatever. Yeah, okay, look, Those are his jokes. Look, what did this cost? Eight? Eight million dollars? Eight million? That much? I don't know. I'm saying, oh, what did it cost? Horrible. Eight? Maybe? Dreadful. What do you think this thing caused? Bucky uh, too Larson. Much, too much. Whatever it is. It's terrible. He's not funny. I mean, and who decided, oh, we got to keep in Adam Sandler's good graces, so let's let's blow $8 million on trying on a star vehicle for his friend Nick Swardson, which is an, a, a horrible script, a horrible movie. Everybody hates it. One of the Gosh, worst of the year. Dreadful. And they got all these stars to be in it. Just, ugh, but they're, all just they're all just cameos. Yeah, but they're in it. They're, they're, they market it with their names. The thing only made, look, the thing earned a grand total in its entire theatrical run, grand total of about two point five million dollars, meaning that it's got to do very well on Blu-ray Cats. to uh, make back its money, and it's Dreadful. not going to. Dreadful. The people are stupid. Uh, you know what? You know what's terrific, and I didn't realize it was terrific. Is Dirty Girl? Uh, Juno Temple is. I like her a man, lot. That girl's, She's that, great. That girl's a star. Yep. Yep. That girl is a bona fide uh, yeah, she, star. She was in, um, if I can go into a Juno Temple thing, yeah. she was the best thing, if not the only thing, in a uh, in the um, uh, the directing debut of Ridley Scott's daughter. Oh yeah, um, it was called right. It was I called. I think it was called Squiggles. No, it was there called Cracks. There you go. Cracks. Mm-hmm. Cracks was directed by Jordan Scott. Uh, I saw it, reviewed it for box office. Mm-hmm. Not a great film, but I looked at this girl named Juno uh, Temple. I'm like, you got to be kidding! This girl's a star. She she's Julian Temple's daughter. We should point out, uh, which you know, obviously people go, oh, nepotism, and you know, yeah, sure, she got a leg up, but uh, no, you, Jordan Scott is nepotism. Juno Temple's like, yeah, she's talented. She's talented. I mean, even when you get the shot, you got to make good for it. There are certainly plenty of people who get a shot because of nepotism, and then nothing happens. Um, Juno Temple is unbelievable, and in Dirty Girl, you would never know that this girl is English. I mean, you see interviews with her, and uh, she's she's British, but you know, talks like a nice little English girl. Here, there is just it's nothing uh, even remotely uh, British. This takes place in uh, in Oklahoma in 1987, and uh, it's this is the kind of film that would have come out in the 80s. Frankly, it's uh, it's just an absolutely terrific kind of. Um, 
you know, uh, renegade youth film. It's funny. William H. Macy is hysterical. Uh, it's really great. It's just a really, really cool film. And the Weinsteins were not able to squeeze a whole lot of money out of this. I don't know that they really spent a lot marketing it. I don't know if they really knew quite how to market it. But, boy, I'll tell you, it's a terrific film, and it deserves to have a real life on, uh, on Blu-ray and uh, DVD, even though it is only out right now on DVD. I hope they eventually come up with a Blu-ray of this, because I think the Blu-ray would be terrific. What so, is this? Uh, that's the thing they say. It's like a, it's like a, a, it a refrigerator magnet. magnet. Yeah. It's a From, Dirty Girl refrigerator magnet. Yes. It's about uh, two inches by two talk. inches. Let talk. DVD released January 17th, 2012. There it is. Who would put that on the refrigerator? I would. How? how Juno. I, it's Juno. Here, put it on your refrigerator. You know what? I have a Sub-Zero fridge. I've tried this. My Sub-Zero fridge, yes. you can't put refrigerator magnets on it. Really? It won't stick. That's interesting. I've tried this. Not, of course, on the Dirty Girl refrigerator magnet, but my on others. My goodness. My goodness. Jesus Christ. Uh, wait, last uh, week while you were in France, I went to a very, very special evening, Wade. I'm so, I'm so envious, too. Uh, this, I'm it, so freaking envious. Was, you have no idea. Like, I, even though I was in Paris, there was a moment on that day when I, I, I looked at the clock and I just said, boy, I, just for this moment, I would <laughs> rather be back in L.A. Because it's a historic moment. It really is. It was unbelievable. First time in, you know, 80 years. 80 years. Uh, at the Academy Theater... In, on Wilshire Boulevard in Beverly Hills, which is the theater that's run by the Motion Picture Academy, yep. the Oscar people. Uh, they took part in a celebration of Paramount Pictures' 100th year. And Paramount has been, I'm, I'm sure, well against Brad Gray's wishes. Yes. Paramount has been uh, celebrating their history. Yes. I'm sure Brad Gray has no interest in that. No. Uh, so what they did, although he was there at this event, what they did was for the first time in who knows how many literally decades... Uh, Paramount and the Academy screened, fully projected, a restored version of Wings, yes. which was the 1927 uh, best, uh, picture. best Picture Oscar winner. It's actually, it's funny because the, that was the first year, the first year that the Oscars were given out. Mm-hmm. They actually gave out Oscars for two pictures. They actually had split it up in yeah. 27. One was Most Outstanding Artistic Production, like from our, our from, from which like went a, to Sunrise, from like an, art, from like an artistic merit, yeah, which situation. went to, uh, which went to Murnau's Sunrise, which and, is also freaking right. brilliant. And then the other one, which is the best production, yes. And then uh, the next year, nineteen twenty-eight, when they decided to just have one Best Picture winner, mm-hmm. this was retroactively named yes. Best Picture. So Wings is technically the first best history, picture. the best first Best Picture Oscar winner. Yep. It is a silent film starring Clara Bow. It is about uh, it's a love triangle so between uh, two World War One pilots. And uh, a, a World War One nurse played by Clara Bow, and I went to the screening, and I'd never seen Wings, never seen it. It's so good. And uh, Brad Gray gave a speech, mm-hmm. and uh, the director uh, William Wellman's uh, son gave a speech. No kidding. Yes, he's uh, he's probably in his sixties now, but he had mm-hmm. written a book about yeah. his father in the wow. making of Wings, and uh, they had a live organist because again, silent film. They had a live organist to play the score live. And uh, they projected the film, and I have to tell you, this film is great. Yeah, it's, it's not it's some tremendous. it's not some like BS. The flying movie footage like, is amazing. So the, I would love to have seen that projected. Listen, Gosh, you're killing me. Listen to this. This is you realize that in this movie, mm-hmm. the actors did their own flying. Yes, these are World War One uh, biplanes. Okay, they're, they're not flying a seven forty seven where you can't really sense that they're flying. They're in World War One effing biplanes, and they're <laughs> flying it themselves. Now, now, uh, according to the program that I was given, what they did was uh, they uh, they gave the actors, the two main actors, Buddy Rogers and the other one, they gave them flying lessons. But what they did was they had these biplanes with double cockpits. 
the actors were in the first cockpit mm-hmm. and the professional flyer was in this was was in the cockpit behind the professional flyer would get the plane in the air yep make sure that it obviously because you know landing and taking off is the most dangerous part of flying but once the professional flyer got the plane in the air yep. a, a biplane folks yep. biplane uh, the professional flyer would duck and then the actor would uh, perform. There'd be a camera. Amazing. There'd be a camera mounted on the nose of the plane pointing at the actor and they would fly the plane themselves and act. Freaking awesome. It, and you, could, you can tell that they are in the air. It, there is nothing between them and death. Nah, it's just it brilliant. is just thrilling. Absolutely thrilling. And we should point out that one of those two pilots is Gary Cooper, a very young Gary Cooper. Well, Gary Cooper's in one scene, yeah. and I won't say what happens at the end of the, yes. at the, end of the one scene he's in. But yes. what, what, when he shows up, you know, people applaud it because he looks yeah. like Gary Cooper. He is. Yeah, but, he's, mean, but he's young and is he smooth and he doesn't have that – he's not sort of gruff and grizzled yet as he eventually would be. No, but he's he's you know he has one scene yeah. he's good in it. Uh, Clara Bow is adorable. There are shots in this film. Whatever happened though to to, to Buddy Rogers and uh, Richard Arlen? They they just they, it's I mean it's funny because Gary Cooper is really the only person from this film who went on to have a career in in talkies. Clara Bow you know never really made the transition, and then Buddy Rogers and Richard Arlen just kind of evaporated. Well, Buddy, uh, look, Wings was his, you know, most famous film. And he, yeah. he died. You realize that Buddy Rogers died in 1999. He died at 94. Oh, it, he, he, yeah, he was around a long time. He was, that guy was around a long time. Just didn't have a, just didn't have much of a career after the, he did after not the have, movie. He did not have much of a career after um, yeah. after Wings. But uh, there are shots in this film that were so, and, and even shots on the ground. Yeah, there are shots in this film that were so good. You're like, you ha- you must be kidding me. How did I mean? Yeah. How did they do that? Mm. You know, I mean, there, there, there there's a shot. At a bar where there are these tables lined up, mm. these bar tables lined up. Oh, where the camera goes through them. And the camera goes through them. I'm like, Isn't it, it's just, I know. Like, you, it's you, incredible. You, you've you've got to be kidding me. I know. It's great. And, and folks, yeah, you have to understand, this is like 90 years ago. Yeah. This is 19, this is 80 years. This is 1927. Yep. Okay. You, yeah. Now you look at that and say, you're like, oh, who cares? I can do that on my iPhone. Well, you know what? This is 1927. Yeah. It's a whole different world. And you know what? It's funny because, you know, we talk about this a lot how, yes, you can go see Red Tails where it's all CGI yep. and it's all a big video game. Or you can see the unbelievably lo-fi wings yeah. where the actors actually flew the effing planes themselves and you yeah. can, so you can feel the danger. It's not a bunch of CGI. Well, you can and it do was it. just thrilling. They can do it, Mark. They can do it because it's on Blu-ray this week. It's a great um, – it it's not just a great movie – when you, it's not just a great movie graded on a curve. Yes, the curve a, of oh, it's old, it's probably quaint. Oh, isn't no, that cute? No, it's a great movie. It's a great movie. It is. It is out on Blu-ray finally this week. We should point out this is not only the first Best Picture winner; it is the only silent Best Picture winner. Uh, it was the year that the silence switched over to talkies, 1927, that famous year of the jazz singer. The year that the artist takes place in. We should point out as well, 1927. And uh, this is the last Best Picture winner not on any kind of a disc. Isn't that amazing? The first is now, it, it, was, it winds up being, you know, the last in the year that perhaps the second 
silent film winds up winning Best Picture. I mean, there's a really there's a, there's a real kind of a a loop thing going on there that I find almost poetic justice. So I uh, I think I we're I cannot, think there's something cool going on. There is, uh, you know, I cannot recommend Wings highly enough. And again, that's not graded on a curve. Oh, oh isn't that quaint? It's silent. No, this no. is a really really the, good film. All the featurette extras on the Blu-ray, by the way, high def. Which is nice, because very often those featurettes are in standard def, and it's really disappointing. And, and also, uh, there's a special version where Buddy Rogers' voice yeah. is dubbed by uh, Jerry Lewis as the Nutty Professor. That's so cool, too. Yeah, I'm glad they did that. Yeah. Hey, Floygen, 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 Nazis, Floygen, not Nazis, Floygen, the Kaiser, Floygen, World War One, Floygen. Yes, I'm sure. Nazis. I just say Nazis. You did. But that's okay. I get the joke. Exactly. Uh, you know, Janie Jones is a terrific film. This is on Tribeca Film. I'm so glad that this, uh, this is out. This was briefly released theatrically. Uh, Tribeca Film has now put it out on DVD, and it's really a terrific film it's uh it's what every little kind of independent film should be uh alessandro nivola plays a one of these i mean you know not the kind of rock and roller who actually makes money he's a guy he and the band they fight all the time and they do gigs at little you know out of the way places and backwater bars and barely scratch by and uh elizabeth shoe shows up she's some kind of a you know she she needs to go to rehab and she's some kind of a groupie that was once uh, following the band and hey look she's got a daughter abigail breslin guess who the dad is alessandro nivola he doesn't believe it but you know what she's got to go to rehab so she leaves the girl behind and next thing you know you got alessandro nivola and abigail breslin kind of on the road together and trying to figure out their relationship and you know is he really cut out to be a dad and does she care and you know what I, I don't even care that they claim this is inspired by a true story. It's just really good. It's just great acting, and it's heartfelt, and it doesn't matter where it goes. It's just you want to be with these characters. I think this is such a sharp film. I'm so happy that this actually got made. David Rosenthal, who wrote and directed it, is a real talent, which means he's probably never going to get a chance again because nobody cares about talent anymore. But uh, do yourselves a favor. Please see this movie. It is just so wonderful, and you will really, really appreciate it. And you'll really appreciate what a great actor Alessandro Nivola is. He is so good in this. I, I mean, I, the guy has just been sort of, you know, sh- simmering somewhere in the independent netherworld for so many years, you just forget that he's even there. And Abigail Breslin, man, she is just getting better and better and better and better. So uh, Janie Jones, J-A-N-I-E, got to see this. In a Tribeca film, it's wonderful. Oh, what you don't have to see is uh, Rachel Weisz starring in The Whistleblower. The Whistleblower, you know what? Here's the thing. Whenever you make a movie about like like sex trafficking, especially with children, you know what? It's not a lot of laughs. No. And there's really only one way to approach any movie about sex trafficking, especially if there's like children involved. It's just, it's got to be so somber and self-serious and melodramatic. And it's nothing to do with the fact that... Child sex trafficking is obviously, you know, whatever the worst ever. But I'm just saying that as that to present that as a film plot, uh, there's no way to get around the fact that it's no. just going to become completely ponderous and melodramatic. And that's exactly what this film is. If if good intentions were Oscars, this thing would sweep the Oscars. But uh, the fact is that uh, co-writer and director. Um, how do you pronounce her name? Uh, Larissa Kondracki. Yeah, she just really uh, she needs to kind of do something that's not as high minded because she just there's no way you know she you just you it's, just have to go there. It struck me like this wanted to sort of be the female version of the Constant Gardener or something. Yeah, something like that. So uh, the whistleblower with uh, I mean, look uh, Rachel Weisz is always great and I love David Strathairn he's terrific and um, Vanessa Redgrave's in it but still um, it's not Saturday night viewing. 
Uh, you know, Fifty Fifty is one of those little films that kind of. I saw Fifty Fifty. It's good, right? You know, here's the thing. There's a lot about it that's very good. I'm, I I felt as if uh, there was there there are moments in the film that I felt it had to be a little dudeish and broish because yeah. it felt like that was the only way for the target audience to accept what the film was trying to say. I agree. So that stuff I felt, you know, that really that explains the casting of Seth Rogen, where you need mm-hmm. somebody who's not going to be dying. But he's good. He doesn't. He's good ju- he just doesn't just do his stereotypical shtick. I mean, he does a little bit of it, which he needs to to sort of ingratiate himself to to the audience. But he he he's, he takes it into an interesting place. I, I mean, agree. I, I agree. I thought it was really sharp. Uh, you know, and and, and when and you're watching it, and it was written and directed by this guy Will Reiser, uh, you're you're watching it and you're thinking. This film is is good enough and taking this seriously enough that I wish it was almost tougher. Well, it, directed by Jonathan Levine, but written by oh, Will Reiser. Yeah. But Reiser wrote it based on his own experience fighting cancer, as I understand it. And he's a friend of all these guys, you know, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and uh, and Seth Rogen, and he's in with that whole group. But I thought it was terrific. I thought Anna Kendrick was really good. You know, mm-hmm. really, I, it, it was. It just it, the whole approach to cancer was entirely unconventional and not what I'd ever seen before. And I was thrilled. I, I thought they did a really good job. And I hope this gets a, uh, an, a an original screenplay Oscar nomination. You know, I really there's, do. There's definitely something there. And uh, and and you know, and Seth, we're hours away from the Oscar nominations. We should point out that is true. Uh, you know what? So anyway, fifty fifty. It definitely surprised me. There's a lot of good stuff in it. I would completely recommend it. There are certain things about yes. it that bothered me, which I just mentioned, but otherwise, it's terrific. The uh, Blu-ray has a great commentary with Seth Rogen, uh, Jonathan Levine, and Will Reiser. All three of them. It's a really, really, really good commentary. Uh, great interaction between the three of them. Bounces very nicely, and it's a uh, you know serial comedic. Uh, deleted scenes, which are surprisingly not as amazing as you would think they would be. Uh, a little bit of backstory and some uh, featurettes, and there it is. It's a really good Blu-ray. It doesn't have to be on Blu-ray, but you know what? It's kind of you, you should see it on Blu-ray. The performances really benefit from having that added resolution. So, well, wait. Here's the thing: we have too much to do. Uh, we, we have do. Uh, we have letters. We got letters. I have to do my uh, my book recommendation, and look at that stack of di- including a, a Blu-ray of a, of a Soderbergh classic. I know, I know, I know, so I know. Let's I know. move it along. We're, 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 yeah, here we go. You got all okay. these and all these. I know. We're we're moving along. Um, okay, so uh, let, let's let's read some uh, listener mail real quickly. Uh, Nicholas Gordon writes: uh, Just wondering, do you guys have any certain scenes or lines in movies that, no matter how many times you've seen it, you laugh hysterically? For me, the scene always cracks me up, no matter how many uh, scenes that have, that crack me up, no matter how many times I've seen them. Blazing Saddles, Cleveland Little uh, holding himself hostage, Elf, Will Ferrell going up the escalator, The Family Jewels close with Jerry Lewis almost getting hit by a truck, Young Frankenstein, Igor yelling Bluka just to upset the horses again. Uh, you know, Frau Bluka, if we pronounce it correctly. The lines that always crack me up. Uh, Blazing Saddles, uh, hey, where's the white women at? Cleveland Little. Three Amigos, excuse me, we're not Mexicans, we're from out of town. Uh, that's Steve Martin's line, and uh, you just uh, just want to get your thoughts, or am I just weird? No, not at all. I uh, I couldn't. I, it just it was too hard for me to come up with any kind of a normal list because it just it went it, it went endlessly. Okay, two. Go for it. Hit me with the two. Here's, here's what I thought. I thought when I when I read this email, I thought first of all, a great question. Second, Terrific. Second of all, how am I going to think of a of a, like? There's so many, and then automatically thought of two. Go ahead. Are you ready? Yes. Now I'm not going to give away the lines in case you haven't seen the movie. Yes. Movies I'm talking about. One was Airplane 2. Yes. One of the great sight gags involving William Shatner's entrance. It is. That is classic. Yeah, that's classic. No tower. No, sir. We have no tower. Only a bridge. And then there's a sight gag that just 
and when it's coming up, I laugh. Yeah. When it happens, it laughs. Yeah. I laugh, and then five minutes later, I laugh. Yeah. So Airplane 2, the sequel, a great sight gag involving uh, William Shatner, which you, you can actually uh, Google it. It's yeah. on uh, YouTube. Mm-hmm. The other one, which I also won't give away, yeah. is uh, from What's Up, Tiger Lily. Oh, what a great movie. Because there's a, there's a part in What's Up, Tiger Lily yeah. where the good guy has to know where the bad guy lives. So uh, this elderly Asian man, uh, he spreads out this blueprint on a table. He points to the blueprint. He says, Shepard Wong lives here. And then I won't tell you what the, what the hero says next because that's what made me laugh so much. And, and, and the funny thing is that I remember seeing that with my father. And when the hero says the line after... The Asian, elderly Asian man says, you know, Shepard Wong lives here. Um, my father and I could not stop laughing. And not only could we not stop laughing, but every like 10, 15 minutes to the remainder of the film, there'd be some meaningless scene of exposition. We would just suddenly start laughing again. Because we were remembering that Brilliant. scene from 10 minutes earlier. I, I've got to say, just about any Jerry Lewis movie, I mean, I, I always think of uh, mainly stuff from The Bellboy and The Errand Boy. The bit in The Errand Boy when he does his whole little, uh, when he mimes the sounds of the uh, of the orchestra, the just about any of the shtick in The, in the Bellboy, when he rearranges the chairs in the, in the room. I mean, all that stuff just kills me. Um, but watching the OSS 117 films, and you have to speak French to uh, really appreciate this, there's a, there's a moment, I don't know, if, and I don't even know if this comes through in the subtitles, there's a moment in the second OSS uh, 117 film when he's being told, he's being briefed on the Nazi that he has to go try and capture, who's, or, or at least make the deal with, who's whole, who has all those documents about French collaborators in Argentina, and he's being told the guy's son is now part of a hippie group. And what the guy, the director of the agency, the spy agency there in France, when he tells him this, the way he, when you, in French, when you say hippie group, it sounds like something else when he first says it, because it would be groupe hippie. But when he says groupe hippie, it sounds like gros pipie, which means fat penis. It's really it's ins- it's an insanely funny play on words, but see, unless you know, in in French, it's just freaking hilarious. It's just so funny, and I wish I wish people would understand. I wish I wish people who speak English could understand how incredibly funny that is. It's right. just so outrageously hysterical. Okay, um, next one uh, is from uh, Tim, who says, um, "Let's this is Tim Teets." He says, "Just a thought. I was forced to watch Torque on HBO at a friend's house. It was in HD, and it was horrible." Both in terms, both in quality of film and uh, picture quality, it looked like it was filmed with a camcorder. I like my movies to have a movie feel and not digital. Is it just me, or do others feel the same? And uh, I, I agree with him completely. Uh, here's the thing, uh, and I'm glad he brought this up because movies—it's like as camcorders and uh, you know home cameras become more and more and more like movie cameras and have, are able to generate more and more that quality. We're gonna movies need to be held to a higher standard. They need to give us better visuals, and instead we're getting stuff that looks like what people could just shoot with their own backyard camera. And I, it, it's annoying me a little bit. Well, the thing is that you know the cinematographers have to learn how to light for digital. Yeah, it's different. You know, you can tell now when a film is digital. There's something about it. There's something a little non-filmish about Absolutely. it. Absolutely, that it just smells digital. Absolutely. And you know, look, Roger Deakins is shooting in digital now. He's into yeah. it, so it's it, it is possible that some of the top cinematographers are getting into it. 
you know, so but here's the thing: digital for a long time. JVC just came out with this new camcorder. Now, granted, it's going to cost about fifteen thousand dollars, but it's a four K camcorder. That's a f- and it has a fixed lens, so you're not going to be able to get you know great lens quality, which is always what makes the difference more than the resolution. But nonetheless, it's four K. That's film resolution. That's movie theater resolution. That's digital cinema resolution for fifteen thousand dollars. I mean, considering the way that these prices go, you're going to be getting that for that level of quality for about seven thousand dollars in five years. But you know what? They got to they got to they got to rise to the occasion. They got to meet the challenge. And don't. And the last thing I'll say on this is don't. Yeah. And, and I, I've said this to people, younger folks, yeah, who I work with. I've said, mm-hmm. look, you can shoot it on a Red or an Alexa or whatever you want. Yes. But but you know what? It is not going to make your piece of crap script no. any better. Yep. You'd rather shoot it. Look, John Cassavetes took a 16-millimeter camera around New York and won 500 Oscars. Yes. Okay? You can take your Red and your Alexa yeah. all over all you want, but it's not going to make your piece of crap script any better. It sure won't. And then longtime listener Eric Altieri wrote, he said, I just saw an ad on Hulu for the Criterion Collection, and they showed a clip from Chaplin City Lights. Excited, I dashed to Google, thinking its release may have slipped under my radar. However, after looking it up on the Criterion website, there are no planned releases of City Lights anytime soon. The only copies I could find on Amazon are the same ones I have, that have been out forever. I guess they're just streaming it over Hulu. Is it uh, too hopeful to think that someday Criterion could give, a City Lights the, give City Lights the release it deserves? Um, I think it will happen. And here's the thing. We, we, this, is, this goes back to the Chaplin issue of the box set. Um, and I wrote him back, and I told him that I just purchased the Chaplin Blu-ray set uh, at the Virgin Megastore on the Champs-Élysées, which has in it uh, The Gold Rush, The Kid, The Great Dictator, Modern Times, and The Circus. Those films were all released when MK2 kind of licensed all those stuff to, to Warner Brothers for DVD. But what's not included are the other ones that were released th- uh, through the MK2 and Warner agreement, which is Monsieur Verdoux, Limelight, Chaplin Review, A King in New York, Woman of Paris, and City Lights. Now, uh, The Great Dictator, of course, is out on Blu-ray from Criterion, and it's also from the MK2 license, which means they're now licensing the Blu-ray releases that were going to go to, uh, that were DVD releases with Warner, now Blu-ray with Criterion. So I suspect... Modern Times is too also. In Modern Times. So I think all of the the Chaplin titles will eventually hit Blu-ray through the agreement between MK2 and Criterion, and that includes City Lights. It's just a question of when. My guess is... City Lights will probably be the next one. That or the Gold Rush. Because um, some of those other films, like uh, like uh, uh, the, the Circus, the, the, those, and, those are the later yeah. Verdue, those are the later Chaplin films. Yeah, and you know, King and Queen, those two, yeah, all that yeah. stuff. So uh, yeah, I, I think I think we'll get it probably this year. I'm at least I'm hoping. By the way, if you have any uh, letters, uh, gods at digigods.com, Wade. And you know what? We have an audio question. What? Hey, gents, this is Mario from Glendale, California. Here's a little food for thought. If you could take a A-list director right now and bench them, let's say like Michael Bay, and have him sit it out for a while, and take maybe a director whose time has passed, say a John Landis or a, a John Carpenter, and give them another franchise movie, who would you bench and who would you put back into play? Or maybe a new director who's done a small film. Who would you want to give a, a shot at the, at the majors at a major motion picture? Take care. Mario, that is an awesome question. Uh, Mark, do you want to take this one first? Oh, I knew you would say that. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, when it comes to a director I'd bench, I'd probably have to say Peter Berg. Yeah. 
And I say Peter Berg because he's he's on the cusp of a listiness, and I'm afraid that he's about to become mm. just the one of the all time ultimate douchebag directors. Yeah, who'll do nothing but crap. That somehow people will bestow upon him money and franchises yeah. and budgets for his shaky cam BS. Mm-hmm. So I would bench him and tell him I'd give him a timeout, and I'd say put the camera on sticks and just relax <laughs> and do a good film. Yeah. Uh, so I would bench him. Yeah. And hope that he would maybe think about think about what he's and re- done and replace him with whom? Replace him with whom? Yeah. Who'd you Who'd you put in? To Battleship. Yeah. Like, well, not Battleship, but does it like take his career? Like, take his career away, and who would you then give a shot to in his in his give stead? A shot to you mean light his... like to a franchise? Yeah. Or, you know, Duncan just... Jones. There you go. I think yeah. Duncan Jones would be a great yeah. franchise guy because he would not stop being Duncan Jones. I am going to say that I, I, you know, I could very easily go, oh yeah, uh, you know, Zack Snyder or uh, uh, Brett Ratner or Michael Bay. Those are like the obvious ones. Here's my other obvious one, and this is the one I would bench only because I was uh, almost subjected to real steel while on the plane as well. Sean Levy, who I just think is the most untalented hack imaginable, but for some reason, primarily I guess because of the uh, Night at the Museum films and, and a couple of other accidental hits, he winds up being on the A list. Um, get him out of there. Just get Sean Levy right out of there. And you know who deserves to get a shot again? Honestly, this so upsets me. Mike Van Diem. Mike Van Diem means nothing to anybody. Mike Van Diem was, he won an Oscar for Best Foreign Language Film for the film Character, like in the late 90s. Was it 97, 98, whenever it was. And uh, has not made a film since. And uh, he was momentarily the director of the thing that Tony Scott wound up directing, that uh, Gene Hackman, Denzel Washington thing. Um, Crimson Tide? No, 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 the, the satellite surveillance deal. Oh, Enemy of the State? Enemy of the State. He was the first director on that. Really? Creative differences fell out. You stepped aside, Tony Scott came in, and the whole thing looked like a, you know, just complete mind F. So, um, and, he, and he, just, he just does commercials now. And he is unbelievably talented. And the guy could do, he could have such a phenomenal career. I mean, no. If you know anything about the way the character was made, um, if you've seen the film, it's an unbelievable film. It, you know, it's just a phenomenal story, incredibly well directed, beautifully shot, tremendous acting, really great filmmaking. I'd love to see him get a shot here again and just let him loose, let him do what he wants to do. But that's not the mo these days. But anyway, thank you, Mario. That was a great question. Good question. And yeah. uh, in fact, send us all of your good questions, audio and otherwise. Although we do love the audio questions. Oh yes, we do. And what's our email, Wade? Uh, Steve uh, at uh, Jimmy John. Sven, what is it? You know what? Someone who has that email is going to be really upset with you right now. Dot Sven. It's a, it's a, it's a new domain. No, it, it, that would be gods at digigods.com. Gods at digigods.com. And uh, look forward to any questions you got. Fire away. We're always here. Um, By the way, we need to blow through. Look at that stack, Wade. I know. We're not, we we're not, we're not going to get through all that, but we should, we should nail the, these criterions. This is, a, this is a great set of criteria. We, you know, we, we will go through some stuff. We'll do the criterions, then we'll go through some stuff quickly. Uh, yeah, we'll do some stuff real quick. I'll, I'll do some of the KidVid stuff real quickly because I know people have been asking about a little bit of that. Uh, you know what? Traffic on Blu-ray from Criterion. Love it. Uh, it's terrific. They, now, Traffic has been out on Blu-ray before. There's a Blu-ray DVD combo disc that came out from Universal uh, not too long ago. And, uh, of course, Traffic recently came out in DVD from Criterion. Now they've put out a Blu-ray edition which has all the same extras, and uh, it's pretty great. 
Um, looks, you know, nominally better than the Universal release, uh, not substantially. So you're really going here more for the the extras than anything else. Uh, a lot of really really cool stuff here. The uh, you know the deleted scenes, um, various demonstrations on uh, you know film processing and just it you know multi angle things. It's really it's Love just it. gobs and gobs of cool extras. The only thing uh, I don't like about that film is huh? uh, Topher Grace. He's annoying. Bugs me. Yeah, but you douchey. know what? he's douchey. He is douchey, but that's not his fault. Well, yeah, I guess it is. It's it's who he is. Um, Louis Bunuel's Belle du Jour, great movie. Also Blu-ray from Criterion. Um, and you know we have an interesting little tidbit in our documentary Schlock: The Secret History of American Movies about a film with the same t- same plot as Belle du Jour that predates it, an exploitation film. Holy very, crap! Very very interesting. Uh, if you're uh, if you're a fan of exploitation film, but anyway, Belle de Jour is still pretty great uh, with Catherine Deneuve as the the deeply deeply damaged woman who uh, you know the housewife who basically becomes a, a prostitute. It is uh, it is one of Bunuel's most provocative films. It makes for a gorgeous Blu-ray transfer. It's just so incredibly well shot, and it's really some of the best color photography of the 1960s. It is a one six six aspect ratio, and it's great. Also from Criterion are the two tremendous Agent Suzuki films that people have been waiting forever for: Tokyo Drifter and Branded to Kill. These have been favorites with uh, Criterion fans for a long time. These were some of the original Criterion releases on DVD years and years and years ago. And I've had so many people uh, write us and just like, when are we going to get the Suzuki films on uh, on Blu-ray? Here they are. And uh, all the really cool extras on here that you had before, including some new stuff. Um, brand new interview with uh, Joe Shishido on Branded to Kill. Uh, the subtitles actually have been redone as well, and they look great. Um, and then there's a, an interview f- uh, with Suzuki from 1997 in uh, on Tokyo Drifter, which is really really interesting. So uh, got to get those if you're a fan of the Suzuki films. And by the way, uh, you know a lot of stuff in Kill Bill One pays homage to Suzuki. It does. You know point what? Out. I I like both these films. I love Branded to Kill. He's such a groover, Suzuki. He, it's groovy. It's, it's groovy. Just groovy. There's, there's groovy music and, and just, groovy shootouts. Cool. And it's cool stuff. So cool. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, then lastly, from the Criterion people, uh, is a new Eclipse volume. This is Eclipse Series 31, three popular films by Jean-Pierre Gorin, or Gorin, who did a lot of stuff with Godard back in the days. And uh, these are later films. Um, They're kind of, they're sort of semi-documentaries. And uh, these are made in the, uh, between 1980 and 1992, uh, Pato and Cabengo, Routine Pleasures, and My Crazy Life. Um, they're, you know, it, the, the latter one is sort of interesting to us here in L.A. because it's, um, it, it deals with a Samoan gang in uh, Long Beach. Um, Pato and Cabengo is about these twins who, you know, like lived in their own weird little world, and then Routine Pleasures is, uh, is about uh, painter Manny Farber. Uh, also a known critic. Um, you know, it, it's interesting stuff. I mean, you have to, it's sort of an acquired taste. You sort of have to know his style and who he is. But uh, if the name kind of gets you all a titter, then uh, you're definitely going to want to check it out. But wait, do you have to check out Mannix? The sixth season of Mannix? Totally. I, I, I love d- Mannix. Why, why, he wore you, a tie. He was grizzled. He was Mike... Uh, he, Mike Connors. Mike Connors. You know, Maddox did not... See, he was not my favorite of these... Um, the TV cops from no, the 1970s? Because he didn't, he didn't really have much of a... 
like a hook. Like, you know, no. Jim Rockford, he lived yeah. in a camper in Malibu. and Magnum had a... Magnum was in Hawaii. And, yeah. uh, and uh, uh, Barnaby Jones was, was like an old dude. Yeah. Maddox is just like another just prototypical no, I detective. So yep. I'm not really that into him. But uh, it lasted eight seasons. And uh, starred Mike Connors. And uh, people liked it. It ran kind of from the late 60s to the mid-70s. So this is season uh, six, which, of course, nobody... Watching or uh, watching, nobody listening to this podcast will ever buy or rent. Uh, what else do we have on TV? We have uh, Tyler Perry's Meet the Browns. You know Tyler Perry. We just talked about him uh, as being the um, as, as as somebody we respect but don't like particularly like his material. Uh, Meet the Browns is a season four episodes. This is I've never seen this before on a, on a DVD um, packaging. It says season four episodes sixty one through eighty, which just seems yeah, I which just seems very strange to me. But, uh, you know, Meet the Browns is a popular show. It's still on cable, and uh, people kind of dig it. I don't really know why, mm. but it's on TBS. And uh, there you go. Let's hope there is never a Meet the Browns movie, and we don't have to see any of this. Uh, the father, whoever plays the father, yeah. whoever has to see his horrible, the horrible pants. The, the, <laughs> the, 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 this character wears pants that make like a golfer yeah. look like, you know. A stylish. Like a stylish yeah. uh, athlete. Okay. Don't like Meet the Browns. Um Subspecies. Yeah, that's a bizarre series. Huh? That's a strange series. What do you like? Subspecies. I, you know what? I've I've caught a I caught like one and a half episodes once late at night, uh, and I was in some state of delirium, and it barely made sense to me, and I was a little bit creeped out, and I uh, I turned the TV off. Well, these well here's the thing. These are direct. <laughs> look, it's all direct to video horror stuff. It's produced by Full Moon. Full Moon Studios is a weird kind of, uh, you know, low-budget horror mm-hmm. series. This series ran from 91 to 98. Um, it's all about this vampire, and, uh, you know, he's trying to turn a hot girl into a uh. vampire, too. And there's a bunch of spinoffs. They and a always bunch of do that. What is up with them? They're always trying to turn the girls into vampires. Well, this is all. This is subspecies. This is Bloodstone. This is Bloodlust. Yeah. Vampire Journals and subspecies for Bloodstorm. These are all the subspecies films. Literally, there was like nobody you've ever heard of in any of these films. No. Yeah, these are all nobodies. Um, and although, you know what? It's funny because the, the only notable thing about these films, which are otherwise terrible, is that it was the first American film to be shot in uh, Bucharest. Yeah. There you go. I did not know that. So otherwise, uh, it's all B-movie, low-budget horror stuff. Subspecies. Don't like it. A bunch of stuff for kids. There is Exploricized Gemathics by Exploromania. This is going to be just one. This is one of the most interesting and curious things I've ever seen. It's basically part of a uh, a program that works kids out physically and mentally. Is the idea, which is it's like an exercise routine, uh, but you you learn math and all kinds of other stuff while you're doing it. So it's uh, it, you know again, I'm not a kid and I'm not really into uh, doing brain work while I'm working out, but I think for kids, it's probably a real a great way to kind of get the sugar high out of them and. and tamp them down a little bit and uh, probably not a bad idea so parents with hyperactive kids that uh, explore size gematics might not be a bad idea um, we've also got Angelina Ballerina Sweet Valentine just in time for Valentine's Day I can't stand this Angelina Ballerina stuff but uh, you know a lot of kids really love it and it's one of the few that actually appeals to little girls so I guess it has some you know something acceptable to it uh, for boys you got Ben 10 Ultimate Alien The Wild Truth this is 12 more episodes in this inexplicably popular series uh, G.I. Joe A Real American Hero Series 2 Season 1 uh, if that isn't enough to confuse you, this was a, a terrible, terrible show, but it's uh, it's got a following all over again now because now they're doing yet another G.I. Joe movie, which, of course, will have nothing to do with this. 
And uh, then well, la- let me. Here's what's going to happen. Larry. What's going to happen in the time that we have left? Yes, the little bit of time. We are going to go through this entire stack of kids stuff. Oh my gosh! And then I'm going to uh, talk about the my book recommendation. Oh my gosh! That's okay. What's going to happen? All right. Well, let, we'll blow through it, man. Do you want to do the book recommendation? Do first? the book recommendation first, and then we'll blow through the rest of these. Okay. Uh, Wait. I have a book to recommend, as you probably yes have realized. Um. Bruce Lee, Woodstock, and Me. Yes, is a terrific must-read book. Yes, by kind of a legendary producer named Fred Weintraub. Ooh, cool! Now I know the whole I, Weintraub family. We 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 know Fred's son Zach very well. Zach was actually interviewed on this show at one point. That's true. Uh, yes. Zach and I went to high school together. I know yes. his whole family. And Fred finally wrote his memoirs. Fred has had an amazing life. You realize that without Fred Weintraub, yep. there'd be no Enter the Dragon. I know. Fred was the there'd Fred be no the High producer. Road to China. Fred was the producer who brought Bruce Lee to America to do a film. And Jackie Chan. And Jackie Chan. Yes. Without uh, Fred Weintraub, there'd be no Woodstock. Nope. Without Fred Weintraub, who was a manager at the time, mm-hmm. Fred, was, Fred had a lot of different lives. Yes. So not only was he a, a film producer, Enter the Dragon, Woodstock, he also managed a couple comics you might have heard of, Lenny Bruce. Oh, yeah. Bill Cosby. Yeah. A lot of great comics. He had an amazing life. Right before Fidel Castro took over, he actually ran a club in Havana. No kidding. Where he was like tortured by the government. Oh, my gosh. Who thought he was an American spy. So he's got great stories. And he's a great producer. He was a great manager. He's a great guy. He lives an amazing life. So you got to check out this book, Bruce Lee, Woodstock, and Me, from uh, Brooktree Canyon Press. And uh, I'm actually going tomorrow to see a um, hear Fred, who's like in his 80s now. To hear Fred uh, read excerpts from the book Bruce Lee Woodstock and Me, outstanding. And, uh, it's a great book, and he actually gave me the pleasure of reading it in galleys to give me his notes oh, uh, nice. to, for me to give me to give him my notes. Yeah, and of course I gave him my notes. I'm sure he ignored every one of them, but still, uh, it's a great book. So I got firsthand. Uh, you know what? And I've known this guy since I was in high school, but I had no idea the career that he. He's he led. A, he's a, you know he's one of those legendary guys from uh, a great time when you could be that kind of producer, and you can't be that kind of producer anymore. It's sad. No. And, and, and the, the way he wound up making Woodstock is, it, it, it's a great story. And all the stories he has about working with Bruce Lee, they're, they're great stories. Well, we're going to blow through the last of the KidVid stuff here real quickly. We've got, uh, let's do real super fast, complete seventh season of SpongeBob SquarePants. Uh, nine hours of SpongeBob hilarity. I still don't get it. I don't know why this thing is popular, but you know what? I like what? the SpongeBob movie. I, I I have to tell you, over over the holidays, uh, uh, my wife's um, cousin's little girl was over, and she's I don't know what is she seven eight something like that. And here I have a giant stack of holiday Blu-rays and DVDs to show everybody. I thought I was totally armed. I'd had everything ready for the kids, for the adults, everything, everything you could want holiday. Frosty the Snowman. I mean, all the It's a Wonderful Life. I was, I had it all going. And uh, what do you want to watch, Ruby? What do you want to watch? Do you have SpongeBob? Aww. I swear, I That's wanted to cute. just. My heart sank because I don't have any SpongeBob. Not holiday SpongeBob. Aww. Anyway, there's a SpongeBob. Uh, Transformers Prime, Darkness Rising. Uh, they're really, really pushing all this Transformers stuff now. The you know, this is the the more. The the after the fact uh, 2011 Transformers stuff that uh, really doesn't look very good. It's all you know 
capitalizing on the movies. Uh, Rescue on the Rails. This is part of Thomas and Friends. Um, also from Hit Entertainment, who does the uh, Angelina Ballerina stuff. It's not my favorite kind of CGI TV. Uh, and Trains with Faces freaked me out a little bit ever since The Little Engine That Could when I was a kid. That was like a horror story to me. So I'm... Uh, you know, I don't really get that either. Uh, your favorite, Garfield. Uh, this is the Garfield Show, Dinosaurs and Other Animal Adventures. Um, the only decent thing about this is um, nothing. There are six episodes here, and uh, I know Mark hates this. This, uh, you know. Oh, Garfield's the worst. It is. Uh, SpongeBob's Frozen Face Off. Uh, more stuff that I just don't understand. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Moving real quickly. Bratz Desert Jewels. How they have actually created this series of movies for the Bratz just mystifies me. They're really creepy looking. They were creepy looking as dolls, and they're creepy looking uh, as animated characters. But somehow they've um, you know they've managed to create a little cottage industry for these things, and goes hand in hand. Uh, with all that Barbie stuff. Uh, I, I Heart My Friends is Barney the Dinosaur being his, his most disturbingly creepy. And, uh, you know, when these kids' shows get all kind of huggy, like, learn how to hug and kiss, and I don't know. I don't think it's good for kids. I think kids need to, uh, need to shed a little blood before they, uh, they learn to love. Um, uh, Mickey Mouse Clubhouse Space Adventure. This is a full-length movie adventure from Disney Junior, which is one of these weird new Disney labels that they've used to Isn't try. Is Disney already for kids? They need like Disney it's Junior. It's bizarre. It's, this, this is like for a certain age level, and it's it's really not good. I, I it, it disturbs me when they do this. This is a two-disc combo uh, that includes a digital copy, and I don't know why they're even making these films because it's all CGI animation. It's not very good animation, and it's really devaluing these these characters that people were once accustomed to being in really, really good, you know, good stuff. I mean, Mickey Mouse, you see Mickey Mouse and you're supposed to think quality, not just, oh, look, another, you know, programmer that they've blown off to try and make a few bucks. It's yeah, really... because when... Because here's what they think. They think yeah. four-year-olds don't really know quality animation. It's so d- why not even true. spend the money? Yeah, they're, they're, they're wrong. Um, adult animation that should appeal to a lot of kids is The World According to Shorts presentation of nine nation animation and this is a this is great animation by any standard uh mainly made for adults but show it to kids because all the other stuff we're talking about is mostly crap and there's some really really cool international animation here some of it is really tweaked you you want to take a look at it first because some of it's definitely not for kids but uh stuff like deconstruction workers and bamiyan um uh, never like the first time, uh, Flat Life, all of these things, Flat Life especially, is really cool. Just a lot of great animators out there, and they're doing amazing work, and, you're, and they, deserve to, uh, they deserve to have their due. Uh, slightly better than the Disney mistake is uh, the Looney Tunes show, which, you know, this is new stuff from the Cartoon Network. This is Season 1, Volume 2, and it's not up to snuff with the original Looney Tunes, but I've got to say they've made a really concerted effort and there are only four episodes here, but they've made a really concerted effort at kind of staying true to the spirit of the stuff and uh, putting the original characters in in situations and giving them dialogue that would be, you know, at least honors what the uh, the Looney Tunes tradition is. So, um, you know, it, it remains to be seen where that series goes, but uh, it's not bad. It's not bad. They, they get a few kudos. Uh, Turtles Tale, Sammy's Adventures, is a Wave Pictures feature film that is uh, sort of trying to, you know, somewhere squeeze in there between Finding Nemo and A Shark's Tale. 
and uh, give you a different uh, kind of a turtley uh, view of the underwater world. A lot of these companies making these uh, CGI animated uh, features, and, and they're you know I guess they're finding something of an audience in there. This is uh, this thing did m- marginally okay. I think they're hoping for most of their money on uh, on DVD, and they'll probably get it. And then we have a couple of six DVD sets here: uh, Care Bears, the Super Cuddly Collection. And uh, big, big collection of Clifford the Big Red Dog. And uh, these are both Stupid from... dog. Yeah, totally stupid By the way, dog. you know, I, I told you I had my picture taken with Uggy the Dog from the artist. At the, I did uh, not Lafka know that. Awards. Really? You didn't know that? I did not know that. I had my picture taken with well, Uggy the Dog. Well, that's, that's lovely. He was cute, and it was a good picture of me. Well, these are six DVD collections, both of them from Lionsgate. Uh, Clifford, uh, through an arrangement uh, with Scholastic... And, uh, you know, it's uh, really, if you're a fan of the Care Bears or Clifford the Big Red Dog, you'll eat it up. If not, you won't understand it. But for your kids, probably a good investment. These things are bargain priced, and uh, they'll keep the children from annoying you for hours and hours and hours on end. And then lastly, from Scholastic Storybook Treasures, is another tremendous release. These things never, never, never disappoint. Caldecott Favorites featuring the Snowy Day, Antarctic Antics, and Make Way for Ducklings, uh, among a whole bunch of others. And, uh, you know, these are just always really, really great shorts that are, that are rooted in, uh, in, you know, books and literature. And they come, they're, they're just really great read-along DVDs, and uh, they're educational, and adults can enjoy them as much as kids. And they're great. You just, you, I mean, you cannot go wrong buying any of these sets. So that is Caldecott Favorites featuring the Snowy Day, Antarctic Antics, Make Way for Ducklings, and a whole lot more. With that, Mark, we're done. Are we done? We're done. That's it? That's it. We have nothing more to say? No, nothing more to say. Well, we have one more thing to say. What do we have to say? Gods at digigods.com with your audio questions. We love them. 